Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where every Jojo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And, and this is episode two, and we're reviewing part one, Phantom Blood, A Letter from the Past. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that has happened previously in Jojo, so you've been warned. We've made it to episode two. It was a... a not as exciting episode, but I think a lot happened that, that drove the episode forward. Yeah, and I'll probably keep repeating this throughout these episodes from part one. Um, yeah, this episode didn't really stand out for me. Um, I know we've only seen two so far, but this one is probably the more lackluster. But I think it's just because they're trying to set up for like future events um, in this part one. I agree. It, it didn't have a lot of action. There wasn't a lot going on that was spectacular. But I think it was a very important episode because, as you'll get to in the in the synopsis in just a second, I mean, we, we get um, a time skip. We get Jonathan figuring out Dio's overall plan and realizing he's a traitor. We get um, Jonathan trying to, you know, find proof against Dio and meet Speedwagon, which is huge. And then we get Dio discovering the, the truth behind the mask. So to me, like, it there there wasn't a lot of action going on, but there was a, a ton of significant moments that propel part one forward and the whole JoJo storyline forward. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, I do want to do a quick shout out to Carl for creating the jingle oh. that you hear at the beginning of each of these JoJo podcasts. And let me just say... When he premiered it or debuted it to me, I was blown away because I'm like, this sounds like it's straight out of JoJo. Like it feels like, um, not to spoil anything, but like some of the themes that we get for later parts or some of the main characters in later parts um, of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So when we get to those parts and, and um, we can talk more openly about the, the, the songs, the themes themselves and the way they sound, I think you'll be able to to pick up on those those little nodes, those hints um, of JoJo in this jingle. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say there's one JoJo theme in particular that most people will think it sounds like. Um, but yeah, I was just looking for a, a jingle that just captures that like JoJo essence, I guess. I think it's legit. And if anyone can pick up on those um themes that are pulled from characters in later parts of jojo feel free to reach out to us and then see if you can guess what that is so let's dive into the synopsis for episode two a letter from the past all right so the episode opens up seven years after the events of the first episode with ea sports rugby live 1888 where jojo and dio in their college jock dlc skins partner up to get the w for their team both are top of their class, with Jojo majoring in archaeology and Dio in law, and both seem to be the best of friends and best of brothers, but of course this is all just surface-level fluff. Jojo is still untrusting of Dio, and Dio is still hungry for that Joestar clout. This is most evident when each tries to curry favor with George Joestar, who has fallen ill and bedridden. During a study session with the Spoopy Stone Mask, Jojo discovers the letter from Dario Brando wherein he asks Senor Joestar to take care of Dio and realizes that George is suffering from the same symptoms that Dario had succumbed to. He confronts Dio as the latter is about to deliver the pill that makes George get down with the sickness. Dio threatens to end their oh-so-precious kinship if he squeals. 
Jojo gives the least amount of a fuck and travels to London to find out who's supplying the drugs. In foggy old London town, Sherlock Jojo is ambushed by Robert E.O. Speedwagon and his chums, but earns Speedwagon's respect after he decides not to deliver a killing blow to his opponent. Meanwhile, Dio roams London streets, intending to kill Jojo with the spoopy stone masks, but uses it carelessly on a village drunkard who turns into a blood-sucking vampire after donning the mask. Before the demon drunkard can finish the Bloody Mary cocktail that is Dio's lifeblood, however, the emerging sunrise disintegrates him into Thanos' dust. Dio wearily returns back to the Joestar estate, but not before Sherlock Jojo greets him and states that he's got the receipts on Dio's elder abuse. Dun, dun, dun. So the first thing I want to talk about, which I'm very, very excited to talk about, is the OP. We get the fucking OP in the second episode. And truthfully, at first, I didn't like it, but it grew on me pretty quick after, you know, watching like one or two more episodes the first time I watched the series and it, it's it's a banger now. Like to, to me, I, I get the hype around Sono Chino Sadame. Yeah, I guess same with me, like first impressions, it threw me off because so far with the series, we've been treated with very majestic um, music and these very grand um scores by the comp- whoever composed this first uh first season i think it was taku iwasaki but wh- as soon as you hear this opening of sonochino sadame um it's just this like it sounds like a retro 80s rock theme and that at that moment I was like what the fuck is this and then you're just bombasted with all of these like sweeping camera angles and cgi images of the characters but yeah i'll agree like as once you hear more of this song it it just becomes like that nice jojo anthem yeah i agree i think it's joe like jonathan's theme song fits very well for the time period that this is set in the location like it's in london it's in the 1800s he's all about being a gentleman and and you know being um upkeeping honor and all that And, and his theme really evokes that and this opening is like straight out of like early anime era, like ridiculous in your face anime OP. Um, but yeah, you, you can't help but love it. And then when we get to the part of the of the song where they yell Jojo, it's like you can't not like yell that either out loud or in your head. It's it's such an addicting song. But the weird thing is like there's there's chanting in the song. Like you, I think you hear it towards the end. I think they're chanting Jojo, but yeah. it, it sounds like juju and yeah. maybe it's just the way like with all the other sounds going on in the song you can't clearly hear the jojo i um, thought they were like making a, a some like sound effect at first like yeah but i guess they're they're saying jojo um and to go off of that thing where this sounds like a retro anime theme i feel like it sounds really similar in style to like chala head chala from dragon ball the the singer almost sounds like the same guy, although he has like a deeper, deeper voice. But I think like I'm sure that's the image or tone that they were going for, because, again, Jojo originated as like an 80s manga. And so they want to kind of evoke the same feelings of that time. Um, like a very classic anime opening. Yeah, I can kind of see that. The, the only thing, though, is like Chala Hedchala. I can't even say it right. Chala Hedchala is um way more like upbeat and like very fun and i think matches goku's personality really well but 
this song is like super like deep and like mm-hmm. like not mysterious. I don't know. The thing about it is like brooding. I think to kind of match like Dio and and what's happening in the show. And I think the translation is of the title is like destiny of that blood. So yeah. kind of yeah, emphasizing the epicness of this like this ongoing battle between Jonathan and Dio. I really appreciate too that the lyrics for this opening and truthfully again not not to jump ahead to to parts in the future but really a lot almost all if if not all of the jojo openings have lyrics i think that are specific to jojo and in the storyline which Mm -hmm. is not as common nowadays i think oftentimes anime will um take a a popular song from a a well-known or a semi-well-known group and then kind of superimpose that on their show if it matches the feeling and and the the kind of the intent of of that show overall but this is like straight up jojo lyrics like they again david production or whoever did this like they pulled out all the stops for for this opening and for future openings i love the visuals in this um i think my my favorite part so let me let me talk about my favorite and least favorite parts my favorite part about this opening is the very first like couple of frames it's that quick flash of manga panels with the you know who I'm not going to spoil it because I think that that's um, we'll save that for for later parts. But if you know Jojo or, or if you kind of have an idea of, of uh, the storyline, you know who those manga panel flashes are, are all about. And I'm like, as the, the very first visual for the very first opening of this show, that was such a cool touch to kind of say like, hey, we we understand the, the full story of Jojo and, and we're going to acknowledge that right from the start. Um, my least favorite part of this opening is the CGI. I have never liked and probably will never like CGI in anime. I mean, this isn't so bad. I've seen worse CGI in anime, but it definitely threw me off the first time I saw it. And I'm okay watching it now, but sometimes I'm just like, man, I would have preferred them just to have drawn them 2D than, than have them 3D. Yeah, it was a weird aesthetic choice. Um, because for me, it reminds me of like, the CG intros or trailers for like 90s video games. Um, like one that comes to mind is like the early Final Fantasy 3D games. Like the way that the characters are like drawn in this opening or even the way that they move, it's very like almost staticky. Yeah, I was going to say that the movement is very clunky. Like mm. it's not even like smooth CGI. It's like very clunky CGI. Yeah, again, I don't know if that was intentional just because they're, they're trying to go for this retro aspect um but yeah at times it can be kind of jarring but going back to your point about like there's a lot of the blink and you'll miss easter eggs like you said there's the opening with all the the manga panels and i think you've mentioned this before like the characters in this part are kind of colored according to how they appeared in the manga correct i think who is it erina has like brown hair in this opening oh yeah you're right so the the opening shows the color schemes for the characters for the most part i believe as they appear in the manga versus the anime which changes some of those things um because it i kept asking myself i'm like why does what does the color look different why why is she a brunette like what's going on here um but then i realized when i saw you know screenshots of of the uh the old school manga then i was like okay now i get it they're they're trying to pay homage to the manga um, I, I'm always wondering why they chose to make those, uh, why they had those creative choices of changing some of the color schemes. Because um, I don't think, 
Like Jonathan, I think is brunette as well in the manga. He's not. He's not blue hair. Look, the, the cover for the manga has him with like the bluish purple hair. Oh shit! Really? Okay. Well, let me look it up really quick. Oh no, nope, he's brunette. You're. Okay. You, I know that. Um, was, um, I was gaslighting. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hang on a second. I'm pretty sure he's brunette. But no, I think um, Araki did like a recent like maybe in the last year or a couple of years he did a recent like revamp of the jojo covers for each of the parts um and i think he used jonathan's blue hair for that one but yeah, now i'm looking at a comparison of like the manga cover and i guess the anime poster that's that it's trying to replicate you yeah, know it's definitely a glow up <laughs> but i still like how david production still keeps the kind of the same style as what as how Araki drew the manga back then. Yeah, because um, one thing that, I don't think this is really spoilers, but one thing we'll, we'll see as we progress in the show is um, pretty drastic changes in art style. Um, and I personally love that. It's it's so different than any other anime. Um, but I think that also is, is very reflective of the fact that Araki is always evolving his his art style. If you look at his stuff now, um, versus when he first created Phantom Blood, it's like you you would never know it's the same artist. Mm-hmm. Um, one more thing for me with the OP, and this is me kind of looking back at it in hindsight, and I guess this is a fault of a lot of OPs for anime that I've watched so far, is if you look or if you watch closely enough, there are things that happen in this opening where out of context it looks strange, but... It's weird how it just can it contains spoilers if you pay attention close enough. Yeah, I, I thought that too. Like a lot of anime openings are like blatant spoilers, like in your face spoilers. We were like, I think they just told me the whole story in, in the whole anime opening. And JoJo does this as well. But to your point, they do it in such a subtle way. Like it looks like it's just a bunch of imagery, um, just some like made up shit for the for the opening. But no, it's actually it's actually all all in there. So now diving into the episode itself, the first thing I thought when I watched this episode for the first time is, "Holy shit, they're fucking huge now!" What the fuck? (laughs) That was what I feel like. Why the fuck are JoJo and Dio so buff compared to every other rugby player? Yeah, and they're like what seventeen in this Mm -hmm. episode or something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. The only thing bigger though than Jonathan's muscles in this episode or really just in his character design, are his eyebrows. I cannot get over his eyebrows. Like, his eyebrows are fucking huge. And I'm like, whenever <laughs> I, I watch this part, I, my eyes are always drawn to the, the big caterpillars above his eyes. Are you looking it up? Yeah, I was looking at a picture, <laughs> and yeah, now I, now I can't unsee it. Yeah, well, now you can join me. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're humongous now. Um, and I think that's um, that's intentional, of course, because... I think Araki in the 80s when he was creating this manga and some of the future um, parts, he he wanted to play to that um, macho man 80s stereotype. So that's why he made them like absolutely ripped. Which you wouldn't expect from like an Englishman um, in the late 1800s. <laughs> but like you said, it, it's the it was the style of the times, I guess. Yeah, he he was just following the trends, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the only, the other thing too that stood out to me pretty pretty quickly in this episode is how 
completely over dramatic, more so than the first episode, the last episode, um, how completely over dramatic the imagery and the sounds are. I mean, mm-hmm. they not only ampl they not, they not only amplified their their physique, but they also amplified just like the way they they did everything in this show. Um, they like from from the poses to like the the aha moments. Um, you know, surprises, like when someone's really concerned. I mean, just everything is so over the top and dramatic and I love it. Like that is what makes Jojo Jojo. And you really get that. You you got far less of that in the first episode and then they just like laid it on thick uh, in the second episode and onward. And I think that's also what I had started to notice the first time I watched um, this part or this first part is, yeah, there's so much more like dramatic poses in starting with this episode. Um, I think there was one uh, shot of Jojo like pointing at Dio, but he's pointing in a really odd position. Like I think he was accusing Dio of like poisoning um, George Joestar or even the way like Dio grabs Jojo's hands. It's like everything here is like the drama is turned or like dialed up to 11 as if this is like some elaborate Shakespearean um, plot or something it's amazing it's absolutely amazing <laughs> yeah i guess to also comment on like how hyped up uh, this story is i like how in the opening narrative they give historical context where um jack the ripper is raging across london committing all of his atrocities but then they also say this is it's based the narrative is basically implying that Jack the Ripper is nothing compared to the shit that's about to go down between Jojo and Dio. It's like, historically, like, Jack the Ripper was an awful person, but the fact that this show is downplaying that and saying, no, look at this conflict, it's, in terms of this anime, it's much more interesting. I just thought that was funny. I honestly... I just watched this, this episode yesterday and I completely forgot that they had the Jack the Ripper part in the beginning. Like it's, it's so insignificant in this episode that it's just like, okay, why are you, why are you telling me? This? But no, it's just like, yeah, it's comparing like, oh, what's the phrase? Like not apples to apple, like apples to oranges. I guess. Yeah. And in this episode too, we get that, that seven year time skip right off the bat. Um, wasn't expecting that the first time I watched it. I was like, oh, okay. Like, here we go. Like we're. We're much farther into the future and and they grew like crazy. Um, And I was like, why are they friendly now? Like suddenly they're best friends. They're playing rugby together. They're on the same team. They're cooperating. They're winning. Um, They're high-fiving each other or whatever they're doing. It was just very, very surprising. But then pretty quickly after that, we get into their heads. We get into their inner monologues. And and Jonathan's pretty suspicious of Dio saying, you know, he's been so great over the last couple of years, but I can never forget what he did early on in our, um, in our relationship. And then we get Dio's inner monologue where he basically admits that his plan is to be nice and to build trust with Jonathan over these last seven, maybe eight years until they've reached that adult age where he can then overthrow him somehow and then take all of the, the inheritance. So it, it like surprised me and then immediately like explained itself. Yeah, now that I think about it more, with you mentioning the time skip, I think I've said this in the past, um, especially in the Strictly Anime uh, Weathering With You episode, is that when it comes to uh, telling stories, less is always more. Um, in this case, like we, we see like Jojo and Dio from the get-go of this episode having like a budding friendship. I would have liked to see have seen, though, more of how 
they developed, I guess, that friendship. Yeah, I agree. Because it it would be really hard. I mean, Jonathan's a a good person all around, but I'm sure it would be really hard to suddenly try to start trusting Dio after all of the shit he did, especially to Danny. I can never get over that one. Mm -hmm. Um, And and yeah, I think it would have been interesting too. I think I, I get it though. Like the first episode was just dedicated to laying that groundwork for what this part is all about. Like it's just hitting the the fast forward button saying, okay, here's what's going on. Here's the important stuff that you got to know because starting with the next episode, we're we're time skipping seven years and we're just going to dive right into the main story. Um, but I agree. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been nice to see some of that, like what happened after. No, yeah, because I think providing more of that context is would be more helpful to accept the fact that Jojo and Dio, even though this is all surface level, have become like more amicable towards each other, at least in public. But on the flip side of that, it's short-lived. I mean, it's right. probably like the first tenth of the episode where they are, you know, buddy-buddy. And then pretty shortly after that, um, Jonathan realizes, Jonathan finds the, the letter and then realizes that Dio is poisoning his father. One thing I didn't catch on my first, um, on my first viewing is, th- are the majors that um, Jojo and Dio have chosen. Jojo's studying archaeology and I thought it was interesting that Dio is studying to become a lawyer, which I think is very fitting for him because, like, he's we've seen that he's adept at like influencing or I guess manipulating people. So it would have be interesting to see like a lawyer Dio um, on his first case. Yeah, I, and I like that about JoJo. Again, not to spoil anything ahead of this episode, but we, that's something that's kind of common in in JoJo is that they they really do a lot of world building and, and they build these characters out very, very well, like at least the main characters um, and give them kind of full backstories, these little fun tidbits that just continue to build on on their characteristics. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it makes sense that Jonathan went to, in, into archaeology and wanted to study the mask. But I keep thinking back on the last episode, did he actually see the mask react to the blood? I know one of the two of them did. I just can't remember if it was Dio or if it was Jonathan. In the first episode? Yeah, or if it was either of them. Like the, the last episode. Because you know how like they're fighting and then, um, who was it? Jonathan punches Dio or something and his blood goes all over. Or maybe the other way around. I can't remember. Um, but one of their blood splatters onto the mass and the mass reacts. I don't think either of them had noticed. I know in this episode, like Jojo or Jonathan had studied the mask and saw it move once he put blood on it. So one of the questions that I have then is how did he know to study the mask? How did he just not think that like that mask was just some art piece on the wall that his dad obtained? Or how did George even come about the mask? Like, do they already know that the mask has some sort of mystical power um, or that it like reacts to blood or is, 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 you know, it does something like different. Um, and that's why he had, he had the, the mask in his possession when he had the car, the cart crash in the last episode like there that's a big question for me um it's like how did we get from point a to point b with this mask but then Dio quickly answers all those questions by just doing a live experiment which we'll get to in a minute (laughs) so before jonathan discovers dio's plot um we get a shot of the two of them with george joe star on his um in his bed They're, they're by his bedside whatever and um, he's saying that he's not feeling well. And, and Dio tells him, you know, don't bother going to a hospital. 
they don't really do much, blah, 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 blah. And here, yet again, we see George being a dumbass and, and refusing to go to the hospital and get proper treatment just because of what Dio said. He's like, no, no, yeah, I'll stay here. I'll stay here, and, and I don't want to go anywhere, even though I'm probably dying on the inside. <laughs> I'm just like, this man is so gullible. Like, go to the hospital, dude. You're dying. I think that kind of plays into what I said before. Like, Dio's very manipulative because I think the first episode – if you remember like that montage of establishing how Dio is more intelligent and I guess proper than uh, Jonathan is. So I think that's where like it's George's fault that he plays into that and is just so gullible when it comes to listening to Dio's suggestions that he just takes it blindly. But part of me too wonders, is Jonathan equally as gullible? Because he's standing there listening to this unfold and yeah, he seems uncomfortable, but he doesn't speak up and say, um, no, actually you should go see a doctor because you're dying. Like I know after he discovers Dio's trying to poison his father, he then says only receive treatment from these physicians. But before that, he's just standing there. He's like, okay, well, all right, that's fine. I thought I would have thought in the, I know he, he sees the letter um, when he's studying the mask from Dio's father. So I was going to say, like, maybe he was still questioning what Dio was saying when they were at his bedside, but the letter thing was more of a coincidental circumstance, I guess. Yeah, maybe Jonathan was just trying to be trusting of his his adopted brother since, I don't know, they have this seemingly wonderful relationship now. Um, but as we skip ahead into the episode after Jonathan has discovered Dio's evil plot, he goes to London to one of the slums to try and find the, um, what did he call him? Like the the Eastern poison peddler or something like that, or yeah. a peddler who deals in Eastern poisons or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Actually, before you go into that, I don't know if you caught this, uh, Jojo confront, I don't know, Jojo Jonathan, whatever, he confronts Dio and accuses him of poisoning um, their father. And I think they get into a scuffle. And, and you notice Dio tries using the thumb attack on Jojo. Oh, from the first episode? Yeah, but Jonathan's prepared for it this time and he like counters, which I thought was a nice way to show like Jonathan's character development and just intellectual increase, I guess. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And as I'm thinking about that a little bit more, um, it also plays into the last episode where Dio said, you know, the the angrier Jonathan gets or the more upset he gets, the, the stronger he becomes because Dio literally punches him square in the face. Jonathan doesn't even try to block it. And yet Jonathan's just standing there completely unfazed with Dio's fist pressed against his face and then mm -hmm. continues to have the conversation with his fist on his face. Like he is just completely unfazed because he is so upset at what he's discovered. And I think that um, Jonathan was, was very clever in asking Dio to swear on his father's honor that he's not trying to poison George um, mm -hmm. because he knows that Dio's anger is his weakness. And yet again, we see him succumbing to that because he, he folds immediately. Like he's trying to put on this this facade or, or trying to, to lie to, to Jonathan about what's going on with the poison. And the second Jonathan asks him to do something or swear on something that, that he just doesn't believe in, which is his father having no honor, he folds and, and he gives away his whole plan. Yeah. Well, yeah, going back to 
uh, Jojo's search for the Eastern medicine or whatever. The the poison petal. I don't know. I can't remember what he called him, <laughs> but we'll we'll figure it out. You all know what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, we we get to to that part. He arrives in the slums, and we see a Rocky kill yet another dog in the first two episodes of the entire show. So Danny died last episode, and then in this episode we see a mangy cat. Um, running away with a, a dead puppy in its mouth that uh, presumably it's it's gonna eat. So the I'm guy like, just fucking hates the dog. <laughs> oh my god, dude. two dogs died in the first two episodes of this show. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I'm I'm a dog lover, and it, it makes me sad. <laughs> but that brings us to the appearance of best wife Speedwagon. <laughs> yes, Ario Speedwagon appears, and well, Robert E.O. Speedwagon, yeah, not, not the band. <laughs> Robert E.O. Speedwagon appears with his gang, um, and yeah, all hell breaks loose. I mean, for God's sakes, his hat brim turns into blades. The bowler hat of death. And whirls around his head and lands back on his head perfectly without any effort or control. And I'm just like, what? What am I watching right now? This is this is so stupid, but so fantastic. I'm like, there's no physics, there's no logic mm. there. I'm like, he's probably gonna slice his scalp off if he tried that in real life. But but he, he has did that it. he has a that nice luscious mullet behind all that. The gorgeous golden locks, <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. Best wife speedwagon. And all it took for him to to um, change sides was a swift and direct kick in the face from Jonathan's muscular calf or his shin rather. Like that that's all it really took, and he immediately just like I don't know. It's like Jonathan knocked the bat out of his brain, and he's like, "We have to follow this man. He is a true gentleman because he could have cracked my skull my skull open with those thunder thighs and chose not to." Yeah, so there's there's context behind like why Speedwagon just had like an about face because he knew that JoJo didn't want to deliver like a like I said in the synopsis a, a killing blow, um, because like Jonathan has enough of that honor to not kill Speedwagon. Um, because he acknowledges that if he does so, he would leave his family like grieving over the loss, which like is interesting because like why is Jonathan so easy to forgive Speedwagon, but isn't the same when it comes to Dio? But I guess with Dio, he has like that history where he knows Dio's just a fucking lunatic. Well, he tried to. I mean, Jonathan tried to reason with himself, I guess, in terms of why. Um, Dio kicked Danny and why he's behaving the way he he was. But then at a, at a certain point, I mean, he, you know, it, it was the breaking point where he's like, I can't keep forgiving or trying to reason through all the things that, that Dio was doing. So he did give him a fair shot. He did try mm-hmm. to say, okay, I mean, maybe I would react the same way if I got attacked by a dog, although it was clear that Danny never attacked Dio. Um, but with Speedwagon, this is their first encounter and Speedwagon very quickly realizes that Jonathan is a good person. But that also makes me wonder, like, Speedwagon is very clearly a, a good person, a, a, a good character at heart. Um, so why is he here? Like, why is he in the slums? Why is he the leader of, like, this this nasty gang or whatever? Um, and, you know, how, how did he end up where he is knowing that he's got a heart of gold? Just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he killed one too many people with that... The blade brand death. Then we get to a part where Dio, I think, arrives in London looking for Jonathan. He's got the stone mask with him because he wants to try and kill Jonathan using his own research or whatever. And he has like the 
quite a charming outfit with the little wing flaps. Uh, I'm it's like, like I, I, I that? dig that outfit. I'm like, if I were to ever dress up like I'm from the 1800s London, I want feathers coming out of my cape <laughs> off my shoulders and like the most elaborate hat you'd, you've ever seen. Like mm-hmm. Dio... Dio's got style, okay? He's, yeah. he's got style. And I guess it's just a testament to like Araki's love for like fashion. It's becoming more apparent with like the way a lot of these characters are drawn. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and it only gets better. Mm. But with, with Dio, we see him stumbling through um, the streets of London, completely wasted, downing more alcohol, and yet again succumbing to his weakness, his anger. Um, he's pissed off because he got caught. He he let his anger take over. He's panicking. He doesn't know what to do because Jonathan's going to out him. And his his whole plan, Dio's whole plan is going to be foiled. Um, and he, he acknowledges that. He acknowledges by saying, I just feel like I'm becoming more and more of my drunkard father. I, I hate him so much and I'm becoming him, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and so it, in, during this, this whole um, part, uh, he's trying to figure out like what he does next. And, and he wants to try and use the mask on these two guys who are bothering him as some sort of live experiment. And I had a big question about this because earlier when Dio found the mask, he said he wanted to quickly like kill Jonathan using his own research. Like he just wanted to like get rid of him really quick. And then he uses the mask on the on the one guy and he turn like he, he immediately dies, right? And Dio's mm. like, oh, this is dumb. It's just a mask for torture killings. This is not what I wanted, and, and I'm all pissed off now. But in my head, I'm like, earlier you said that you really wanted you wanted to like quickly kill him off. Like I don't I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah, exactly what he that, said, yeah. but he basically implied that he wanted to get rid of Jonathan quickly. Um, so I'm like, but isn't that exactly what happened to this dude? Like, why are you mad? That's exactly what you wanted. <laughs> So that, that part confused me. I mean, it's it's super minor, but I was thinking about that. Maybe he was looking for something like a more sadistic death for Jonathan because that's just how much he hates him. I um, guess, but he he called it a mask for torture killing. So he, he saw that the guy was in pain, that he was like, yeah. I mean, that, that to me seemed like a, a sadistic killing. I don't know. The mm-hmm. whole thing, it's like one of those, uh, maybe it's like a, an Iraqi forgot moment or just there, there's not a lot of continuity there. But yeah, so he he kills the guy with the mask, um, and then the guy comes back as a vampire, and then starts to kill Dio, and then he says that he doesn't want the sunrise to be the last thing that he sees, um, but then the sunrise is what kills the vampire. And that whole scene where we see that the mask reanimates the dead and turns them into like living vampires, I remember again from my first viewing of this is it almost turned me off from watching JoJo. Really? Yeah. Because I feel like, and maybe this is more prevalent in like modern like shows um, and like media, but like the undead thing, and I guess to an extent like the vampire thing has been so overplayed um, that I thought this was going to be like the running cliche um with jojo's bizarre adventure and i'm not gonna again i'm not gonna spoil anything that happens down the road because it, it but it that's not the case at all but just watching that the first time I was like uh this is just your typical undead adventure <laughs> yeah i i can I, I think that's fair I, I think i probably had the same reaction when i first watched this episode because i was like vampires uh, out of nowhere i'm like Where's this show going? I don't understand, but maybe mm. the vampires are, are the main antagonist or part of the antagonist alongside Dio. Like I, 
I don't know, but we get vampires and yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. see what, what comes of that. But I will say like, again, with, as we watch more of part one, that they handled this undead thing, I guess, better than other shows out there. And after that, that vampire is introduced and killed off, we then get at the very end of this episode, the slow burn, that slow entry of the ending theme song roundabout. And it's it's the first time we hear it kind of introduced, kind of like overlapped or o- mm-hmm. or overlaid on the last kind of final shots of the episode. And it is awesome. It is so awesome. Yeah, like it, just the way they, they did that, that execution is done so well. It, it bleeds in and, and just like makes the ending feel, I don't know, like something about the ending feels so good when you hear that that um, song come on early. No, I think this was the perfect choice of song, um, not only for like the ending, but for this particular scene. And I think we'll see more of these, like the way that the that roundabout is queued up um, on these like climactic scenes at the end of each episode. It just works so well. Cause like you said, like the guitar is the intro to the song before you actually hear the whole band play it. Um, and it's so dramatic and intense and it matches exactly what's happening in this final scene between Dio and Jojo where Jojo kind of has that like ace attorney moment where he's like, aha, I know what you're up to. And then the guitar picks up and it just segues into the credits. It's like, it gives you like chills. Like on the beat too. Like as soon as the, the main part of the song drops, that's when it like immediately flips to um to the end credits. It's just it is done so well. It's so sleek. It's so hype. Every time that comes on, not to you know spoil too much about future episodes, but every time that comes on, it's just it, it's so satisfying, so incredibly satisfying. And now you've seen that become a meme at least. Oh my god, those uh, videos are so yeah, funny. <laughs> where you don't know what's about to happen, but then the all the guitars kick in 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 the in roundabout and something like hilarious or super cringy happens and then the song begins and you get that iconic to be continued all right yeah the the arrow at in the, the the lower corner it's mm-hmm. yeah it's it's great it's amazing and and we also see um the imagery and the ending theme changes the the background stuff with with kind of the aztec um, I don't know what you call them, like wall carvings or whatever. That stays the same, but the imagery of the, the characters overlaid on top of that changes. So we now see older Jonathan. We see older Dio. Um, and speed wagon. Yeah, speed wagons in there. So I also appreciate that they they um, keep the ending updated with what's kind of either going on in the show or, or kind of where we're at in the in that storyline. Which again, I think, is a testament to like the level of detail that David Production um, strives for. Because I don't think there were, at least, a lot of the anime that we've watched so far. The endings have been mostly all just the same. Like nothing changes in terms of the visuals. Yeah, like it, it'll change either halfway through a season or with a new season for the most part. You do right. have a couple of shows 
um, to be fair, that that have like small changes. So I think one of the things that, that pops into my head immediately is um, my teen romantic comedy snafu. But it's it's very, very subtle things in the opening will change based on you know where they're at in a certain point of, of the story versus here where it's like this is a very blatant change mm-hmm. because we've had that time skip. So they're matching that time skip in the ending. And it's only episode two, but they... Again, they were dedicated enough to just change the ending, just two episodes into into this first season. Yeah, it's the the David production. I mean, we'll we'll continue to praise them throughout this podcast. I'm sure, like they they were the right choice for for JoJo. They have really done a, a fantastic job and and given it the the anime um, adaptation that it deserves. Because this is not the first time that JoJo has been um, adapted into an anime, but this mm-hmm. is the the best for the sure. quintessential. So I think that pretty much wraps up all we had with this episode two, A Letter from the Past. Um, again, from my point of view, it's just not a filler episode, but it's just setting everything up, putting all the cards in place for what looks to be a huge Jonathan versus Dio showdown in the next episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about the next episode. I think that's that's going to be a, a meaty one. There's a lot that happens, and uh, it's it's going to be good. It's going to be very, very good. Mm. So that concludes episode two of Strictly JoJo. You can follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. Check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you can reach out to us to share your thoughts on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure or share any feedback on our podcast. Thank you so, so much for listening and sharing in our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everybody. To be continued. I think it was Takuya Osaki who did this first uh, season, um, and then you. <laughs> the fuck, Siri. Oh, <laughs> uh, let me do that again. <laughs>